think that began as a joke that the CIA replaced all birds in the world with drones in the 1950s. And they would all obviously have cameras. So I could imagine her downing a bird with her her shotgun. I imagine this set in America because where else could it be set? Yeah, she comes out of her trailer, but we're just putting everyone in trailers now. Uh, (laughs) And she brings down this bird and she's trying to pull out the wiring and it's just disastrous. It's all this fake blood. Uh, And she gets a bit of, yeah, she gets a few sinews out and goes, oh, there's the wires. Which one's the red wire? Which one do I cut? Yeah, That could be a lot of fun. I think that would be a lot more fun than what I have to this point crafted. Yeah, and it is another idea. So you know how she's on her phone tweeting? Once she's finished, she can pull the SIM card out and put it in a copper box or something. Be like, yeah, I'm fine now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Pleasure of the Tech Podcast, a shared imagined space where readers and writers make meaning together. We're your hosts, Shannon and Gareth. Hello, Shannon. I'm so glad I don't have to do that introduction. It's such a mouthful. Yeah, sometimes I think I'm always going to stumble over the words, but somehow I manage every week. So we need to get to that level where we could just pre-record it. Well, that's a nice idea because, folks, every week she says, do you want to do the lead in this week? And every week I go, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we're at. (laughs) Anyway, what are we doing today, Gareth? Yeah, I feel like I really messed up that lead in, but we'll we'll recover. So today we're going back to feedback. Uh, We did feedback a few weeks ago or maybe even actually, you know, it's about eight weeks ago now. Um. And we're going to do another round of feedback based initially on the pieces we wrote uh, for last week's episode, uh, which everyone should check out, like, and subscribe. It was A uh, Dark and Stormy Night is the title, and uh, Garris has done an amazing job on the thumbnail, so it's definitely worth checking out the artwork on that. If not sticking around for the writing, at least come for the artwork. Come for the artwork, stick around for the writing. We didn't begin our stories with... It was a dark and stormy night. What we did was we took uh, some prompts off the internet and we took part of one sentence, part of another sentence, shoved them together into a horrible Frankenstein monster, and we worked off that. And the sentence we came up with was, wandering through the graveyard, it felt like even the furniture had gone, which, uh, which is pretty exciting. Mm. So we did a writing exercise for six minutes on this and we both produced uh, a paragraph and we're going to read that paragraph out again and we're going to give each other feedback. Exactly so. So we might as well just jump into it because I feel like I wasted enough time talking about our intro. Do you want to read first or should I? Oh, I'll go first. Okay. Wandering through the graveyard, it felt like even the furniture had gone. Having removed the Christmas lights at twilight, shadows blossomed in the empty spaces and the ghosts no longer glowed festively. The red added a delightful blush to their ethereal faces, while the green provided a ghoulish appearance of decay. Mrs. Pompery, who I typically used as a couch, her belly and limbs bloated with gout and excess fat, contributed to a sinking effect, perfect for a hard day's work digging up bodies. I sit on her belly and wrap her heavy limbs around me like a weighted blanket. Well, what a macabre and wonderful beginning to a story. 
what I'm getting from this is we have perhaps a grave digger um, who I, I imagine them living in one of those large tombs, you know, those big family tombs, like a cave where you can go in and this is what I'm getting from this story. That was my mental image because I feel like this character is inside somewhere. I was thinking, where are they? They're inside one of those big family tombs. And they've not been burying the bodies. They've been pulling them out and using them as furniture, which I think is delightful. I suppose my first question in terms of developing the piece is, does the character prepare the bodies at all? Like, is there any um, work being done, you know, sucking out stuff and, and injecting other stuff into these bodies so that they are preserved somewhat? Uh, oh, no, actually, in fact, that would have been done prior to uh, their being uh, set for burial. But would there be any further stuff? What else do you do to the bodies? I don't know. Uh, uh, is there anything? I feel like you're you the expert. Do you embalm them? I'm not an expert. Well, are you sure? I don't know. Um, I don't yeah, go well, around digging up a lot of dead bodies. It's sure, sure. But uh, only a person vocation. who does that would actually say the opposite, you know. It seems <laughs> incredibly suspect when someone says, well, I don't go around digging up dead bodies. And you're like, oh, okay. Okay, sure, sure. Um, yeah. So I guess, no, probably there doesn't need to be so much preparation, but I, it, it jumped into my head last time when you read it and it jumped into my head again, which might just mean I'm a dummy. But I feel like that is one thing that would be worth addressing as you move forward with the piece. You know, are these bodies starting to smell? Maybe you could treat it the way one treats, you know, a weighted blanket where you're sort of like, well, you know, yeah, it's getting a bit funky, but it's all warm and comfy and I'll wash it next week sort of thing. So it could be that kind of attitude. I suppose the next things that I'd be curious about in terms of the story is uh, obviously where it's going to go. Um, you know, is this something that's just started has this character been doing it for a while? Why do they do it? Um, you know, I sense that they're having, they've just had a Christmas period, uh, which is excellent. Um, you know, you got to, with the, you got to spend the Christmas periods with the ones that are near and dear to you. So that's, that's great. Um, I imagine that uh, there is something else about all this that needs to be uncovered. Uh, as you know, I don't think it matters if anything really happens. Like this character doesn't have to get a comeuppance uh, and there doesn't have to be some great drama. But having established this rather extraordinary opening scene, uh, something more, some other surprise needs to occur. Uh, and I wonder what that would be. Do you have any thoughts going in? You mentioned the word Frankenstein. So originally when I wrote it, I was thinking that this person is um, collecting organs and revibing them and then selling them on the black market to people in China or something like that. But then I thought maybe she could be collecting limbs of people and making her own Frankenstein. Um, oh, that's nice. You could kind of make art out of them or even like sort of installate like like uh, local park swing equi equipment, you know, it could be made out of all kinds of legs and, uh, and yeah. horrendous things. <laughs> I don't know if um, 
if you build a house with bodies that are decomposing and they're contained within like plastic walls, I think they would provide really good insulation as the gas, nitrogenous gas like starts coming up, um, which is quite warm and you can like have insulation in your house with decomposing bodies. I don't know. I'm stuck Mm, with this mm. idea that furniture, bodies, graveyard. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's definitely I think the thing here that as you move forward, uh, so we've got a sense of this character's lifestyle, which, you know, is, is cozy, but a bit sort of, uh, macabre. Um, where are they going to go next? I suppose Frankenstein is a, is a possibility, uh, in terms of things like the, the way Mary Shelley was inspired by the, uh, electrical experiments on frogs and so forth and animating bodies. It might be that, uh, Maybe the fact that the bodies don't move is a problem. And so she starts investigating, you know, using electrified surfaces to get some movement back into those bodies, you know, a little bit of tap dancing and various other bits and pieces. I think, you know, that's a possibility. Mm. Yeah, something Um, like that. Yeah, so uh, during your feedback, thank you so much for your feedback, Gareth. I've been writing down some ideas and some takeaways. And uh, given that this is a feedback podcast, did we want to talk again about the importance of giving and receiving feedback? Yeah, well, I think we do. Um, So, you know, we've talked before about writing being a collaborative process, and it really is, folks. I mean, if you're going to get published, unless you're going to self-publish and uh, you know, do the whole thing yourself and edit yourself and do all that. You really are going to have a lot of other people involved. Um, mm. You know, the publisher, the editors, uh, you know, uh, typesetting, we can often get very attached to the way our text looks on the page. That's all over. Um, you get different formats, you know, and, and before that, you, you, it's not uncommon for writers to have their own literary groups um, who share feedback uh, many, many, many famous writers uh, have had collaborators. It's not an unusual thing at all. Uh, I think it's far more unusual for writers to be up in that garret on their own, you know, sending their work to their publisher by folding it into a paper airplane and throwing it out the window. I don't think that really happens. Oh, so, man, why not? I know, it'd be pretty good. You, you know, even if you're not a good writer, you'd, you'd develop a fantastic paper airplane technique. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, you know, feedback is collaborative. It's good to share ideas. And as I've been throwing out ideas at Shannon, no doubt there have been bits of those ideas that she thought, hmm, perhaps that has merit. And others where she's thought, well, that's just idiotic. And the latter is not a waste of time, though, because the moment you think I reject that idea, there's a reason why you've rejected it. And that reason is useful and it can provide some clarity and shape to what you are going to go forward with. So that's, that's why we're doing this. And today we're doing this in a series of stages. We're going to read our pieces to each other, get some feedback. You've got yours. I'll do mine in a moment. Then we're going to write for, is it six minutes? Are we just a six minute sort of group? Yeah. This is what we do. I want to say five, but I feel like it takes me that extra minute to get into the groove of things, pick up my pen, make sure it hasn't rolled off the desk, that type of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's five plus 20% extra. 
Yeah, like how they sell chips in Saw. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and then, we're yeah, just a so bag we're going to do. Air. <laughs> it's the bubbles <laughs> of nothing. Um, yeah. So we're going to do a six minute, based on the feedback we've got, we're going to do six minutes of writing and we'd encourage everyone else to do that as well. We're going to do more feedback, another six minutes, and then final feedback where we just talk about where the the story could go next. And, you know, by that point it will have developed by a couple of stages. So that should be interesting. So should I read mine? Yes, please do. Okay, then. Wandering through the graveyard, it felt like even the furniture had gone. The stones lay in pieces all around, marble and limestone forming a mosaic in the dirt. She tried to piece together this picture, looking for meaning here if nowhere else, but it was too abstract to clearly make out. The plush mounds of the newer graves had been trampled down, their stuffing compressed or scattered like the stones. Nevertheless, she stood there, there out in the open, needing this place to be more of a graveyard than anywhere else. More than her own little house, the local shops, the post office, the municipal park. But they all looked like graveyards. Castles stomped down into miles and miles of sand. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Very beautiful. Um, I want to say Somba. Um, Yeah. No, I have not gone the comedic route. No. Um... So there was a very beautiful image in that where you talk about how all the stones, limestones and marble have been scattered into a beautiful mosaic artwork abstract. So you've made that um, connection between art being mosaic and abstract. I like that. Mm. Um, This line here, needing this space be more of a graveyard than any other. So this is the start where I know that something uh, bad has happened. So it kind of sounds like post-apocalyptic, maybe a nuclear bomb has gone off or something. And then the question there that I have is what's happened? Are we going to find out a bit later on? So you've opened this beautiful scene up with this big question. And did you have in mind in terms of where that question was going to go and how long you've got to drag out the mystery for? No, I um I wrote it and then went, well, that's done. And, <laughs> you know, wandered off to make myself a coffee. Uh, reading it again, I mean, I've got a little bit of a theme about the, the stomping into miles of sand suggests a sort of a bullying idea, but I think it's a bullying by fate. And I was sort of thinking as I read that, how has she been bullied by fate, particularly because she's clearly alive. Mm. Um and that, that was may my be next the, question. Yeah. Why is she alive? Why is she alive? I don't know. But I do know that she is very much alone. Uh, I think with um, post-apocalyptic stories, they're often an affirmation of life. You know, you're, you're wandering around fighting off zombies and what have you. Uh, and, you know, you never feel more alive than when you're fighting for that life. So I think that's that's one version of a post-apocalyptic uh, future. This one, I think, is not that. I think it's more like that Twilight Zone episode where, oh, what's the guy's name? He, um, he played the Penguin in 1960s Batman. Yeah, you know, and he was also Rocky's coach. So I know a lot about him. I just, 
don't recall his name. Anyway, wonderful actor. Um, and he, yeah, there's a, there's an apocalypse and he's all alone. And for the first time in his life, he doesn't have to go to work. His wife isn't nagging him and he can finally go to the library and read everything like he's ever wanted to idea. read. Twilight Zone always had great ideas. Um, or most of the how, time. How do we go about finding the codes for the nuclear weaponry in America? That sounds fun. I know, right? Let's just get down to that reading that we've all been trying to do. Yeah. Um, but, of course, the twist is as he's he's got his pile of books and his glasses fall off and they crack and then he <gasps> can't see the books uh, and then he doesn't have all the time he needs and all the books he wants, which is uh, – Terribly, terribly sad and ironic. And uh, I mean, mind you, you could probably find some glasses. I would just go around body to body, whacking glasses on until I found a pair that worked. But that's just me. Um, so I think it's this sort of narrative. I've got that much clear. Uh, and So my next question then, given that you've just told me a bit more of where you're planning on taking it, so this character is alone, how are you going to present the point of view? I'm assuming that it's a limited third person. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can uh, give across that emotional aspect of it. Is there a reason you decided on limited point uh, third person as opposed to first person? Not really. Um, I don't often write in first person. Uh, third person limited is, you know, like we've discussed in a previous episode, is kind of a natural thing in, in contemporary Western fiction. So it just seemed like the obvious one to use as I had no better reason to use anything else. Um, yeah. But that could change if the story required it. Then I might want to go back over it. I think the main thing I've got here is a slight bit of defamiliarization that I'm pleased with, which is that she – so you have an you have an apocalypse – and yeah, I imagine it's some sort of crazy bomb, but I feel like it isn't nuclear. I, I think it's something else. I was thinking maybe a sonic bomb, something that just like basically creates a massive earthquake that levels everything. Uh, yeah. And for whatever reason, she is not affected. You know, um, the classic one is, you know, they're in hospital at the time and wake up from their coma and it's all rubbish. None of that would happen for her. But for whatever reason, she was not affected. So she doesn't go looking for life. This is this is the bit of defamiliarization I'm pleased with. Oh, okay. She goes looking for greater degrees of death and thereby making the rest of her world seem more alive. And so that's why she wants the graveyard to be more of a graveyard than anywhere else. And it's it's not. Um, so, so that's what I've got. That would seem to be the mission statement of the story. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, in terms of this next round of writing that we're going to do, I've given, we've given each other feedback. So now we're going to try and utilize that feedback and see how far we get. Yes. And we're going to do five minutes plus 20%, i.e. six minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, and then read what we've got, add a bit more feedback and see see how it all goes. Yep. I'm just going to put my timer on. Okay. Three, two, one, and go.
And that is time. That is time. Okay, how did you go? Because you were, I'll let you go first because you were uninterrupted, unlike myself. Yes, I didn't have any barking dogs getting in the way. I've got my door shut, my cat, it was scratching, but I was like, no, I'm creating stuff. Um, Mm. Well, I info dumped, folks. I info dumped. I think this is part of my my process for this story. Um, Yeah. Do you want to hear it? Yes, I would. Okay. So I'll just, I'll jump in off the last sentence. Castle stomped down into miles and miles of sand. Fate had been unkind to her. It had decided that all fate was equal, neither this nor that, dismantling itself and everything around it until the earth was, across its surface at least, completely flat. She'd never believed that particular theory, but it had played out on the back of a doomsday device she'd very much accepted as fact. She'd been down in her bunker tweeting about it, which she did as a matter of habit, when the bomb had actually fallen. She'd thought it would be atomic, but no, it was something else, some great leveller of everything. Otherwise, she'd be getting sick by now, her skin blistering, but this weapon had been sonic, she guessed and had left an almost deafening absence in its wake. It had obliterated all sound, all the spaces in between, waves stilled forever into a vast, silent sea. Yeah, okay. So I can definitely see what you mean. There's this huge amount of information, and given the nature of the exercises that we're doing, that's completely normal. So any audiences that are finding that they've now just dumped a whole bunch of information on the page that's fine so normally I mean I know you're writing quite well this information you would kind of leak over multiple kind of chapters to keep that mystery going of that big question what exactly has happened in the world um given your progress because that was quite a lot how do you feel um look I'm happy with it I mean now I've decided she's a conspiracy theorist um I love how she was tweeting in the bunker. <laughs> right. So and Elon yeah. was following her. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Can you mention that? That I Elon had just followed her and she was so ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was tempted actually to make a, a Musk reference, but then I, I decided that there were bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I – I think, well, there's two things. I feel like I almost came up with a title for the story. So I like the silent sea, but um, obviously uh, there's a Netflix show, The Silent Sea, a Korean drama, sci-fi, very good. I've been watching it. This may have influenced me, folks. Uh, The other option for a title for this piece would be Flat Earth. Um, Mm. Uh, because yeah, the whole world is flat. So, and that works in with her being a conspiracy theorist. It does. So that's I'm pretty happy with all that. I you know totally see that the way I've written this is not going to work. It's it's much too much information, much too quickly. But I think basically, uh, in in response to your feedback and my my panic about what the heck I'm writing about, uh, I've. I've info dumped out some stuff, which would then, uh, what's the word? 
scaffolded Dis- through the rest. It would, I was going to say dispersed. Dispersed is a wonderful word. Yes, dispersed through uh, like fates, just broken up into pieces and scattered throughout the story. Um, but it's good to have you know done done this process and and got this next bit. So from my point mm. of view now. I want to actually get back to what was happening, which is that she was in the graveyard. So this yeah. is almost like an aside, what I've written. So here. now that you've written a bit more, um, I want to ask, do you know the age of your character? Is your character developing? Because when you had the start off line when she was talking about fate and all that, I was thinking this has to be quite a, a more mature woman than a young adult yeah i have a number in my head it's completely arbitrary but it is in there and it's 52 she's oh. 52 now yeah the only relevance i can find with 52 i suppose is uh, weeks in the year and uh cards um Oh, like, yeah, winning a hand at cards. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know. Well, also the world has been subjected to what might be described as an existential 52 pickup where everything has just been blasted and landed everywhere. (laughs) So maybe maybe that was in the back of my head. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, I think basically I've got some background here, but this would not be the second paragraph. Um. But it's good to have some info and also some thematic meat with all the conspiracy theories and such. And that allows me to think where she might go next. Um, Maybe she would look for other people with bunkers or has done that and they're not, they weren't in them at the time or I don't know. Um, One Mm. will have to see. But yeah, would, would you have any suggestions for where I should try to take this next? Uh, probably movement in the graveyard. So what's her next course of action? And as she starts moving, you can start um, dispersing all this information. So before there used to be a hospital where maybe her granddad used to live or not live but died. Um, and so in that way you can start developing uh, more connection with the character and the backstory without, again, info dumping. Yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. All right. Well, I've got some. I've got some possibilities. Shall we have a listen to your second passage now? Yeah. So I will jump off from the last sentence as well. So I've actually gone and edited it into third person limited because mm-hmm. I was not enjoying writing in the I. So there's been a bit of a shift. So the main character who was originally I's name is now Claire. And that's to actually remove you from this idea of being someone who's just digging up dead bodies, right? Maybe, uh, yeah. I was, I was, wasn't connecting to that part. <laughs> right. Um, oh yeah, you know, mm. I don't, I don't bury dead. I don't. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, sure you don't. Um, okay. <laughs> um, Claire sat on the belly and wrapped the heavy limbs around her like a weighted blanket. Exhaustion weighed Claire down, less physical than mental. She didn't know how long she could keep searching for her heart. Night after night, full moon after full moon, when the living had gone to rest, becoming closer to the dead, she went to work. Tonight, the graveyard had been full of new bodies. Apparently, some new virus was afflicting this part of the world, and she idly wondered whether it would be, if she would be lucky enough that it would result in more bodies in different graveyards. That's as far as I got. But with mm. this, I was like, 
playing with these concept of the living and the dead, what's the difference besides uh, bodies not working anymore? Um, the heart, the soul. And so I have this idea that she's looking for a heart to come back alive, but people in this world don't have hearts. Yeah. So now I'm going to expose my ignorance here. When a body is prepared for burial, I assume all the organs are left inside. It's it's really just that the blood is removed. Isn't that correct? Or oh, I thought they took. Yes. So we've just gone to Dr. Google and we have found that all the organs are, no, sorry, all the organs remain in the body. Now, when an autopsy is uh, performed, you know, in the, in the case of a uh, you know, suspicious death or, or so forth, um, you know, on the, on the telly, they always pull everything out and chuck it in one of those, you know, those fruit weighing scales. They just drop it in one of those and kind of go, yeah, it's $13 a pound. Um, I wonder if, I mean, I'm not sure if any of that actually happens either, but assuming it does, do they then put all the organs back when, when preparing, you know, getting the body back into a state to then be embalmed or do they leave all that stuff out? One would imagine it would be an extra level of difficulty shoving it all back in. Yeah, and it would all be at different levels of decomposition. Um, so research is really important. And as you start uh, writing and developing your work, you will find that you have to jump onto Dr. Google and do some research to help you continue on with the writing process. Yeah, because people will, you know, say, oh, well, look, it's just a story. And uh, that really doesn't cut the mustard at all. Um, whatever is invisible, uh, you know, is, is, is normal and uh, allows the reader to have a sense of reality. So when you depart from facts uh, and when you depart from uh, the, the familiar like Third Person Limited, it's, it's important to do so for a very good reason, not just that you didn't know. Um, so this immediately raises a challenge for Shannon moving forward. I would also point out that I believe that um, in our one of our other stories, a character was called Claire. So I feel like Claire may be becoming a, a totemic name that just uh, – so if there are any Claires out there, it's oh, a yeah, complete I'm accident. changing it to Paige. Paige. Okay. I was going to suggest Fiona. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but – I mean, Claire's a lovely name. Uh, I do remember because as I was reading it, you are writing a book and Claire is one of your uh, big uh, centre characters. Yes, but also I think in we did a piece about uh, a, a woman who's blind and oh, I believe yes, my I character did. was Claire in that too. Obviously, I can only think of four names. <laughs> so Claire and Fiona are two of them, folks. Uh, you can see my character doesn't have a name because I, you know, I've only got two others to work with. Um, so you've got this potential issue here, and, and I have a thought about it, which is perhaps certain bodies are buried without their hearts. Uh, and I was thinking bodies that were, had been autopsied. This would be another Doctor Google thing, but assuming that's correct. 
Perhaps the issue is finding the right heart to put in a body that she has decided is significant. So a body that um, has has been autopsied. Uh, now, I have a thought, which is if her name started with the letter Y, uh, then she could feel that the Y-shaped scar on the chest is meaningful. Uh, because I sense this character may have a degree of, uh, I guess you'd say, intellectual abnormality. Um, she seems quite intelligent, uh, but I think maybe there's there's something going on there that, like, some deficits or some uneven knowledge in her character. Um, so, yeah, that would be my suggestion would be that she's trying to when we talk about frankenstein she's trying to piece together a complete body one that's missing a heart mm. um, so that was one thought i had or to answer the question of um other organs left inside the body I was imagining a world where people aren't born with hearts. Eventually, it's something we don't need anymore, but only a few, like, it becomes a mutant uh, thing, and she's trying to get a heart to come back alive again. Oh, okay. what I'm That's thinking. That's a very but interesting I idea. Yeah. But I or, need to play with it. And, a, and one other possibility is a clock. You know, she's got all this furniture. Um, perhaps... She wants a grandfather clock and the clock to work, to tick for time to be meaningful would need a heart. Oh, that's a cool idea. Um, because you've got this furniture uh, thing happening. So that feels like something that you don't want to lose sight of. Another idea that just jumped into my head is she may have a lamp person, someone who feels like they are filled up with light. And uh, and so at night, you know, she just stares at them and feels like there's a warm light coming out of them. That could be quite a nice – because, you know, with uh, with comedy, and obviously there's, there's quite a bit of comedy in your piece, a little bit of pathos can go a long way. It's the Charlie Chaplin effect. Yeah, um, when people have joined us, don't their like uh, tips of their fingers and their eyes go yellow? So it kind of looks like a warm hue of light. Oh, what a lovely idea! There you go. Exactly yeah. so. Yeah, jaundiced in life, but in death, full of optimism. <laughs> Love it. So yeah, okay. So I think I need to get back to my story, and you need mm -hmm. to pull some more planks into the sort of the the narrative framework of yours to just get what's what it's about a little more defined. So I think that would be about right. Yeah. So this is our final six-minute um, segment. Happy writing, Gareth, and I will start the timer now. Happy writing.
And that is time. Time at last. Time at last. So how did you go on that final stint? Are you falling more into the story and are you enjoying it? Yeah, um, I think so. I uh, I went in one direction and then I, I kind of veered into another, um, possibly inspired mm. by your own uh, writing. But but I, I think I want to hear yours first this time. Yeah, sure. Okay. Tonight the graveyard had been full of new bodies. Apparently some new virus was afflicting this part of the world and she idly wondered whether if she would be lucky enough that it would result in more bodies in different graveyards. But digging required energy and energy required food. Paige heaved up from the bloated chair heading to her camper. Pulling a jar of maggots out from the pantry box and a smaller jar of powdered butter and flour, she made a savoury pancake. Wistfully thinking that another Christmas had come and gone without him, she lit a candle, wedged into an old wine bottle and placed it upon the coffin where he laid and settled herself by the lamp to eat. Her lamp was a lovely gentleman by the name of Robbie. Jaundiced in life, the disease yellowing all his extremities, he gave off a delicious aura of warmth in his decaying afterlife, almost giving him an outward appear, outward sense of optimism. So thank you very much, Gareth, for that uh, image. How delightful. Yeah. So in that final stint, I thought – I'm going to play with both these ideas. So she's looking for a human heart to give life to her partner. But in the final moment, I think she decides to take the heart for herself. Okay. Well, look, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And it's so weird the way our stories <laughs> have wound around each other, as you'll discover soon. Um, I think what mm. I'll do is I'll read mine. And then we'll, okay. we'll bounce back and forth between our stories because I, I think mm. the um, parallels are a little eerie. Okay. Oh, okay. The morgue was a pile of concrete tile and twisted metal, so there was no re- relief to be found there either. Claire, ha ha, Claire had hoped that finding somewhere, anywhere, less alive than the rest would give the latter some new sense of life. It couldn't just be her, a tall, twisted sapling in a desert of petrified stumps. And then I wrote a note to myself, note to self, Beware these overblown metaphors. Then I went back to the story. Soon she would wither too without food. Earthworms wriggled around her feet, drawn up perhaps as everything else was brought low. Lowly things, but ever so high in protein. There'd be fungi around the base of the trees too, not to mention edible mosses. Some kind of soup began to form itself in her mind. Oh, okay. I totally see what you were saying. Um, Mm. Yeah, and interestingly, we had we did not um, talk about that prior, and we just had a similar idea. Yeah, it's isn't it amazing uh, how like we seem to be on a wavelength. See, the feedback has created a wavelength which we're both on, which is which is mm. quite interesting. I think that um, on the one hand, your savory pancake sounded delicious, but the ingredients in some ways seemed worse. Uh, my ingredients, I think, are slightly better, but I came up with a much more mundane meal. So make of that what you will. Um, 
Yeah, so I think it's tremendously interesting the way we've sort of landed in similar spaces. Um, I think that's probably because we do a lot of writing stuff together. And uh, I've had a lot of feedback from you. You've had a lot of feedback from me. And so I think that has shaped the way we approach things, uh, hopefully for the better. I hope everyone's enjoyed these grisly meals. So in, in terms of your piece, uh, I, I got a real Hammer House of Horror vibe. Okay. Um, and that would, be, that would be something I would recommend to you is check out a few Hammer House of Horror movies. Uh, I mean, they're fun anyway. They're incredibly lurid. All the blood is like almost pink. It's so bright red. Um, and yeah. the, the kind of the idea of trying to animate a body, it's very Hammer House of Horror uh, in, in, the, in the best possible way. So I think you've got something really, really delightful with this piece. I actually, I actually think you could really develop it and, and turn it into a, a legitimate story. I think it's probably got more legs than, than mine does uh, at the current time. Um, okay. And yeah, I think the trailer the trailer just really added something for me. I I suppose I'm I'm wondering if she basically sets up her living room outside the trailer with the bodies, but then what does she do with them at other times? That's one, one point of logistical <laughs> issue that I that I sort of identified. But uh the maggots, I think I was completely won over by that point. Uh so yeah, no Yeah enjoyed it tremendously and i i would like to see you you take this attempted reanimation as as far as you can um yeah i think that would i think that would be a great thing to do you mentioned that because we give feedback often to each other and how we're rubbing off on each other and I think that kind of elucidates how important it is to have a really good critiquing partner. So we did talk about this in another YouTube or and podcast that we did uh, oh, six weeks ago maybe. Oh, time just flies. Mm. And, um, yeah, giving uh, feedback to someone that is kind of on a similar length or doing similar things to you uh, can really help and they will help develop your writing uh, further as well. So feedback is really important. You shouldn't expect to be doing this all by yourself, and it's really fun. I hope everyone had fun today giving everyone, each other, feedback. I had lots of fun today. I very much agree. Uh, I, I think as a primary writing buddy, it's good to have um, someone who's on your wavelength. Where larger groups are useful is that they won't be on your wavelength, and so you get those different voices as well uh, because you don't want to end up in a bubble or an echo chamber where uh, you become so similar to your writing buddy that basically you both love everything you both do. Um, yeah. And I think having those other voices and having the other voices uh, in the presence of your writing buddy is, is a very useful thing. Um, and, of course, we do. We have our larger writing group that we're both in, um, and – they often have very different points of view to mine in any case, uh, but also to yours, I think, at times. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, the other thing, the other cultural reference that would be worth considering is um, Psycho with the mother, oh. the mother down in the uh, apple cellar or wherever she is. Um, 
Yeah, because this idea of uh, the departed, um, the departed beloved, or or indeed, uh, you could look at things like Sleeping Beauty and uh, Snow White, and and that sort of idea of the reanimated beloved. Yeah, so you've just given me an idea. So I was playing with this concept that humanity hasn't had the heart organ in a very long time, and so she doesn't know what a heart looks like, but she's imagining an apple in a chest. So that's kind of what I thought about when you mentioned apple uh, seller. Well, yeah, apples, it just kind of it, it bounced up, didn't it, that and also yeah. with, uh, with Snow White. Um and of course, the the classic image, uh, the icon of a heart, is apple-like. Um, so that all makes perfect sense. In terms of feedback uh, for yours, um, I really did like the side note because at that stage I was like, "Oh, these metaphors are getting pretty hairy." <laughs> they are, um, and which is. Uh, some some of your metaphors are just brilliant, like in terms of the mosaic one that you brought up at the very start of the piece and other times. I mean, this is what editing is for, right? And mm. it's a shame that you don't think it has a lot of legs because I think it does. But maybe to get – because you've talked about the story that it's only a single person. Maybe that's why you don't feel like it's going to go anywhere if they're just constantly talking about fate to themselves. Maybe there has to be – some obstacle. Yeah, I think I think there might be an aspect of that. I think also I'm not that interested in conspiracy theorists, so I don't know why I went in that direction. I think the, probably the, my greatest inspiration was to decide ah. to name my character Claire, uh, which was a sinister bit of, of grave robbing of your story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think the flat Earth idea is kind of interesting. Um, but I think sometimes you really? play stuff out and, yeah. and then when you play it out, you kind of go, yeah, no, I'm not not that interested in being in this world. So I might I might abandon it. I'm much more interested in the world you've created with, with this piece personally. Well, I just had a thought. So you've created like this really somber atmosphere, mm. but you're a really funny guy, far funnier than I am. Um you can have this woman living in a bunker tweeting, but she comes out, she thinks the world's a disaster and she sees people, but they're not real people to her. They're actors getting paid to pretend that they're living a real life. <laughs> so you could just make fun of conspiracy theorists the whole way through. That could be a lot of fun. That could be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, and I remember. And she thinks the birds in the trees are um, radios and TVs watching her. Drones. <laughs> that was the. Uh, I think that began as a joke that the CIA replaced all birds in the world with drones in the 1950s, um, and they would all obviously have cameras. So I could imagine her downing a bird with her, um, you know, her shotgun, her slingshot. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I imagine this set in America because where else could it be set? Um, and yeah, she comes out of her trailer, but we're just putting everyone in trailers now. Uh, <laughs> and under the trailer is a bunker. So like, she doesn't have a set home. She just has a set bunker and she parks her trailer on top of it. Um, and she brings down this bird and she's trying to pull out the wiring and it's just disastrous. It's all this fake blood. 
Uh, and she gets a bit of, yeah, she gets a few sinews out and goes, oh, there's the wires. Which one's the red wire? Which one do I cut? Uh, yeah. That could be a lot of fun. I think that would be a lot more fun than what I have to this point crafted. Yeah, and it is another idea. So you know how she's on her phone tweeting? Once she's finished, she can pull the SIM card out and put it in a copper box or something. Be like, yeah, I'm fine now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking up tinfoil hats the other day. I was just curious to see if anyone... Because you're about to order one? Well, you know, they're always made... I mean, they're made of tinfoil, so you just make them at home. But I was thinking, you know, has anyone actually made like a really snazzy one, like a fedora or, or you know, something other than what is essentially a fez? Um, and yes, indeed, people have made incredibly elaborate tinfoil hats. So I could imagine her using a tinfoil hat, but then realizing that the tinfoil has so many other uses like you know um reflecting light and and she can wrap her worms up in it to steam them and uh collecting rainwater yeah yeah just the power of a tinfoil hat and just how useful it can be uh this could be like a, a guide story you know where um you're basically i i've become very obsessed with the way of the house husband also on netflix like and subscribe um and yeah to us not netflix oh yeah that's right <laughs> i just say it as a matter of course um and and you know uh i i love how there are all these great handy uh household hints built into this TV show and you sort of think, oh, I better note that down. That's a great way to clean the corners of dust. And, uh, yeah, so it could be that kind of thing, like a sort of a conspiracy theorist's guide to life. Um, yeah. That could be quite a lot of fun, actually. You can play in the title um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but The Conspiracy's Guide to America, I don't know. Yeah, well, she could live in a town that was like just demolished because virtually no one lived there uh, and they're going to put a um, a highway through it. And she spends so much time in a bunker, she comes out one day and everything's flattened uh, and, yeah. and thinks, you know, it's all happened. Uh, and that could be quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, now you've got me excited about this story idea. I think I might pursue it in that direction. Well, there you go. I'm glad that we were able to talk through that and give each other feedback. Um, yeah, yeah, I think. Did you have? It? Well, I think the gist is keep doing what you're doing, Shannon. Completely change what you're doing, Gareth, and we are. <laughs> we have nailed it. <laughs> Solutions found. Also, uh, next week we are reviewing Pastoralia by George Saunders, and I have to say that is one funny book. I am loving it, so that's a little spoiler, folks. It's not going to be a savage review. Um, but the humor, I think there's there's something for you and I to learn uh, in Saunders' approach to humor, Shannon, and I, I reckon his work could instruct what we do with our pieces as well. Okay, well, I will um, 
download that because I haven't started, but thank you for the reminder, Gareth. And if anyone has not been watching, this is their first time, this is your friendly reminder to go get Pastoralia from wherever you can. If it's in your local library, definitely go that route or your local bookstore. And we will see you next week for the review of Pastoralia. Until then, everyone. See ya. Ta-da. Ta-da.